and welcome to the D1 Softball Podcast. I'm your host, Tara Henry. As always, we're excited to bring you the best of the best in college softball. After the show, head on over to d1softball.com for all the latest news, coaching scoop, fall reports, international softball news, and more. If you subscribe today, you can use Podcast 20. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T 20 for 20% off an annual subscription. I'm excited for today's new episode that features none other than head coach, of the Texas Longhorns, Mike White. The D1 Softball Podcast is sponsored by Bat Club USA. Bat Club USA is a subscription service for premium baseball and softball equipment. In 2016, co-founders Eric and Oscar realized there's a huge performance gap between top-tier bats and the ones most people can actually afford. So they started Bat Club. Since then... Parents have been able to give their kids the best bats in the game at an affordable monthly payment. Learn how you can give your little slugger access to the best bat for their swing, starting at $20 per month by visiting batclubusa.com. Before we get started with Coach White, uh, I want to go through what we've got on the site for you this week. We have... We could just continue to roll out our fall reports. And on Monday, uh, Rian and Potkey, Reed's got all the scoop on the Kentucky Wildcats. Rachel Lawson has brought in four newcomers, Chelsea Mack, uh, Lauren Borzaleri, Taylor Hess, and Carissa Hamilton. Biggest question mark for the Wildcats will be in the circle. Uh, they lose two arms. But keep an eye on Mack. She had 81 stolen bases in her senior season, uh, in her high school senior season. So excited to see her on the base paths. That's Kentucky. Uh, and then we head on over to Kansas. Uh, our very own Graham Hayes with the fall report on the Jayhawks. Jennifer McFalls finally has a roster that is completely her own and returns the top half of her lineup. So, uh, like what we see there, and then welcome seven freshmen to the squad. In her rookie season, Olivia Bruno, 13 home runs, nine doubles, a triple, and 44 RBIs for the Jayhawks, uh, all in slugging percentage with 687. So keep an eye on on McFalls and the Jayhawks. Then Brainy Vernon, taking a look at Louisville. Uh, gosh, super close last year on the postseason bubble. Uh, arguably could have had a berth to the NCAA tournament. But lose uh, Cameron Greenwood and Kendall Smith, some some run production there. However, gained four freshmen uh, in the process, a couple key transfers, uh, and two of those freshmen are pitchers. So that's Louisville. Then we'll head to, to Maryland. Mark Montgomery and his squad, he's going to have a whole slew of pitchers on his pitching staff. It's going to be more of a pitch-by-committee uh, this year for the, the Terps. And Jada McFarland got her back uh, as well. The freshman, the big 12 or the big 10 freshman of the year uh, a few years back. And so we'll see how Maryland does uh, in the big 10 and their second full season under Mark Montgomery with uh, a full schedule. That's it uh, on the site on d one Now we'll head into the interview with head coach, Mike White. Always a pleasure to speak with him. Uh, Honest, raw, real, and did a heck of a job managing the Texas Longhorns in 2022, uh, the runner-up at the Women's College World Series. Here he is, head coach Mike White. Hello, Tara Henry here with the D1 Softball Podcast. I am now joined by the Mike White, head coach of the Texas 
Longhorns. I mean, I could read off this whole list of his accolades, not only as a coach, uh, but as a player. Uh, you know, what I love most about Mike White is of all the possible chances to advance in terms of the NCAA championships, uh, every time his teams have at least made it to the Super Regionals. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty cool uh, stat to say. And uh, with the Oregon Ducks uh, advanced to the Women's College World Series uh, five times and then just took the Longhorns to the Women's College World Series in 2012 uh, and the national runner-up, Mike White, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome, Tara. It's uh, exciting, and, and thank you for inviting me. So I kind of want to start from the beginning because those people that don't know you probably don't know that you're you're not from or were born in America, but uh, grew up in Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, what was that like growing up, and how were you introduced to softball? Uh, well, it was, uh, you know, it's funny because a lot of people think we're really, really good at softball over there because we've had uh, exported men's fast pitch pitches for a long time, but uh, it's really a secondary sport over there. Rugby is number one. It's king, you know, even in the summertime. And then uh, cricket, which is uh, the English game, is ahead of that, tennis. So we kind of, uh, the players that have played, though, uh, are doing really well, especially since they started coming to America and about the the late 70s and early 80s, and we brought a lot of the concepts from uh, America back to New Zealand, and then we started to come over and force as players to learn the game and eventually become world champions, you know, five or six times, I believe, in the ISF quadrennial, or WBSC now, as it's called, I think. But um, So I kind of got out to it at a young age. Instead of playing uh, you know, baseball, there's no baseball. I played softball. My, my family played it, and that's really how I got into it. And for those of you that don't know, Mike White has uh, been inducted to seven different Hall of Fames uh, and still holds the career uh, wins leader for the I ISC. So with 70 as a, uh, a player, was a pretty darn good pitcher in, in his day and eventually played for the U.S. Uh, national team, became a U.S. in 1994. So, Mike, talk to me a little bit about your experience on the, the, the national team and how you kind of grew as a pitcher and how that's impacted you uh, becoming a coach. Wow. How long you got? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I'll, you know, <laughs> well, playing for your country is a great accolade and a great honor. And, um, you know, I played for my country from 1983, started with a perfect game. My very first game for my country against uh, an American team club team in New Zealand. And then I went all the way through 96 and actually finished with a perfect game in the women's, uh, in the college, well, not the college World Series, in the ISF uh, World Series. And um, and that's how I finished my career. And at that time, I thought, well, you know, I think it's time for me to move on a little bit and uh, let some of the younger guys come in. And so I decided to get my citizenship for the U.S. and start helping U.S. grow their game as far as men's fast pitch goes, so I could help them out. But didn't quite work out that way as far as developing more pitching, but I did pitch for them until 2000 and uh, I think seven, maybe. Uh, 2003 was my last um, Pan Ams. I, I played three of those. So very fortunate to play for both countries and uh, it's an honor to play for both of them. And um, you know, I really met a lot of people, traveled to a lot of great places. And, um, you know, it's just, man, just so lucky to play with so many great people. So you've got all the accolades as a player. Then you had you start into the coaching realm. 
uh, were an assistant at Oregon for a little bit and then came back at 2010, took the head head job there. Um, and then now you're at Texas. I want to talk to you a little bit about pitching and, and I want to dive into this a little bit because you are um, one of the masters uh, of our sport and our game, not only the, the women's side on the men's side. Um, what tools do you look for in a pitcher? So let's say you're out on the recruiting trail. What do you look for in a pitcher when you're sitting there, um, at, you know, at a club tournament, at a travel ball tournament, or even a high school game? Well, you know, before I get into that, I'm going to have to step back on the whole process of how I kind of got into it. Yeah. But, you know, growing up, we, we didn't have any video. We didn't have any coaches. We didn't have anything. So the only way you learned was by watching uh, good pitchers. And I think that's where we just watched and learned. And we didn't really know what the nuances were, you know, but we just, it looks like this. And you just try to copy it. And sort of like, you know, baseball pitch, you see a lot of baseball boys out on the field or even the girls now emulating their idols. And that's kind of like what I did. And was you emulate it, create your own style, then you develop it. And so then fast forward to about 2003, and I got asked to do a camp by then head coach Kathy Aronson and said, you need to break it down and describe it. And I, to tell you the truth, I really couldn't do it. <laughs> you just do it like this, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, just watch me and copy me. But, you know, of course it has to go further than that. So I developed a, a whole um, system of teaching, the, the, the teaching pitching and, you know, figuring out the, the what's important, uh, key, key moments in time and key positions and things you need to do. And, studying the pitching and, and taking analysis of uh, great pitches like uh, I've done one with myself and Jenny Finch and to tell you the truth is very close they're very very close and so I think that um, all great athletes do similar things um, and, and you just try to find those key moments so that was part of it so then I try to look for those same things in the pitches that I'm developing I'm looking for effortless power I'm looking for uh, command uh, you know, the ability to throw locations, which I think is a pitch in itself. And then, of course, so the movement pitches, you know, the ability to go up, down or curve, you know, swings and misses, I think are huge. That's telling you something about what's happening. And then great off speed, um, you know. So obviously, you know, size helps, but it's not everything. Uh, obviously, there's some very good pitches out there that, that are not tall. Uh, Lisa Fernandez is one that was a great pitcher, Taryn Mowat, you know, they're not all, you know, six foot plus. And uh, I was in the same vein, um, uh, men's fast pitch. Uh, I'm six foot tall and 200 pounds, but not now, but then, um, yeah, but, you know, these guys that are six, six and 260, and, you know, they're got a lot more power than me. So there's, there's, it's good to know there's more to pitching than just straight power. So looking at power, looking at location, looking at ability to command pitches, let's say, you're evaluating a pitcher on your own team. Are you using analytics? Uh, are you looking at spin rate? How do you go about that? Obviously, you've got the eye test because you are an arm. You are you know, are a thrower. But how are you evaluating your pitchers uh, at Texas? Sure. Well, firstly, I try to figure out. You know, you you can't you don't bring someone in just to change them. You try to fit them into somebody else that's really good like that. You know, for example, you know, you could look at, say, Sophia Simpson and say, you know, she's more of a replant type pitcher with a hop. So you try to find a kid like Kelly Barnhill or somebody like that, and you're trying to show them side by side and what's key to Kelly and what could Sophia do better to help her there. So you look at the mechanic side of things to, again, make them efficient in, in their style and what they do. 
And then we look at the spin rates, you know, hey, you know, what, what's our spin rate like? What are the numbers like? Um, you know, if, if you're, you're a, you know, a drop ball, you want to be 1100 um, RPM, you know, a rise ball, want to be 1300, 1400 RPM. Uh, you want to have the correct rotation of it. You know, we use a, a system called Yakratech, but some people use Rapsodo. Um, you know, there's different variances of them, but really you're just trying to find out what's the angle of rotation, uh, the true rotation of the ball, and you find out, okay, can we make that better? You know, are we getting the separation? The actual numbers that I love the best are the, the differences of the splits. So in other words, you have a pitch with nothing on it, but, you know, gravity, <laughs> and, you know, it just goes straight and it comes in a intersection of the X and Y, and then you say, okay, now throw a rise ball, and it should be above that line, and the drop ball should be below that line. Now, what's the split? You know, what's the differential there? And you can do the same thing with east-west pitches as well. And then you need to say, you know, can I throw a change up that looks like those and have that same kind of movement? So you try to put together a package where you want to see those nut, those those splits, those dots, those points that are separated uh, with a good spread. And then, of course, consistency in the, in the location was huge. I, like I said, I think beginning was um, location as a pitch in itself. Uh, you must have great command. Um, if you go back and watch a lot of the games, you'll see that most pitches that are hit are not necessarily good pitches, you know, thrown in the right locations. So I now want to get into kind of this historic run you had this past season. And you and I actually ran into each other, I believe in Florida, uh, uh, during, I think it was maybe the last day in Clearwater. And we had a chat. <laughs> We had a chat getting some coffee and I want to know what happened from that day that you and I had a chat having some coffee uh, in Clearwater to, uh, you know, just falling just short uh, of a national championship uh, in Oklahoma City uh, this past June. Well, you know, I'm not going to kid you. It was, it was um, you know, going into that tournament, I thought, you know, if we can go three and two, that's pretty good. Uh, 0-5 was not on my uh, thoughts, and then to lose one against Arizona State that same week, 0-6 was, um, you know, that's a tough one. I mean, obviously you play that good competition to see where you're at and then to put yourself through some adversity, but that was a little over the top. But I had to keep reminding the team that that's going to make us better at the end, you know, having faced that, and that's what we do from this point going forward. It just proved us at that time, at that point in time, we weren't really up to the standard. We weren't doing those things. We lost some close games and things happened, but that's fast pitch. We know that. No excuses. We just weren't good enough. And so we had to come back and revamp and hang with it. Um, and we knew that, um, you know, it wasn't going to be easy. Uh, you know, we, we gave up a lot of runs in some games. Uh, and that was a dis bit disconcerting. We knew that um, I had to find a way to, to get Haley Dolcini going. I knew what Haley could do, um, but I didn't have a chance because she came in at mid-year. And so I didn't really have a chance to work on like anything mechanical. I, I mean, it's too late to work on mechanics at that point. Um, but she had great movement and everything else. So we just get her to be able to throw different locations with that movement and not be so predictable. And that's really what we did. And um, that really was the tipping point for us was to get Haley to be our number one, uh, the one we could go to, then get the other pitchers to pick up around her, like Estelle Check, Sophia Simpson. Uh, you know, those are the, the main three really for us. That, uh, that did the majority of pitching, especially at the end there, you saw against Arkansas and, um, you know, Washington, and then again going through the World Series. But it was really just a matter of believing in ourselves and saying, hey, this this is um, it's not fatal. Um, 
I always remember, I remember walking into Ralph Weekly and uh, I think in a, in a uh, hotel there and he said, hey, Mike, if it's any consolation, we we went 0-5 uh, and, and we were finished second in the College World Series. So there you go. <laughs> so everybody has to go 0-6 at some point and finish second. But hey, it worked out. Uh, yeah, no, you always can get some good tidbits from, from Ralph. Uh, always, and it's good that he's still around. I saw him uh, at Palm Springs. We watched. I watched Tennessee uh, versus OU kind of next to Ralph, but he's always good for those. Uh, no, and in terms of Haley Dulcini, let's talk a little bit about the transfer portal. So, uh, you, you like you mentioned, you get Haley Dulcini mid-year. I believe she arrived on campus in January. Um, yes. You know, and – Dealing with the transfer portal, there there's obviously um, pros and cons to it. But how do you how do you feel that you benefited or, or, or necessarily didn't benefit from the transfer portal? Well, obviously going back to my first year at Texas, we were able to bring over four. Um, I guess they call them long ducks, but <laughs> you know, but whatever. Uh, but you know, four <laughs> players that um, that left Oregon and, and came down to Texas. And that definitely helped us. You know, it was tough because uh, you had different cultures kind of colliding there a little bit, but um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that enabled us to become pretty successful straight away, you know, and just missing, you know, we went to the super, super uh, regionals a couple of times, but um, you know, everything happens for a reason, but those players really helped us start, get off to a good start. Um, and then we were able to bring in some other transfers along the way. Um, so I think it's, it's a good thing, but um, you know, where does it, where does it stop and end? I mean, obviously, if it's done the correct way, uh, it's good. Um, but, you know, for what I'm afraid of is that we get super teams that are just super and everyone else gets left behind and we, and we, we lose the strength of the mid-majors. We lose the strength of the, the lower tier power fives. You know, those become – and now we that's what happened to men's fast pitch. Men's fast pitch died because – uh, well, there was a, a spending frenzy. Uh, you know, if you couldn't spend half a million dollars, you weren't going to be able to compete. Well, is that going to happen in our sport, especially now with NIL? Uh, you know, is that the, the the other part of it that's enticing players to come? Uh, you know, we don't have a collective yet. Um, a couple of our players are able to do pretty well off NIL. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's like right now, it's just wild, wild west. We don't really know what's happening. Um, but the transfer portal is obviously benefiting. It looks like the rich are getting richer. Uh, you know, you look at Oklahoma, I mean, and look what they've done in the last five years with their transfer portal. Uh, it would definitely be some different results if they didn't have any of those players coming over. Not that they wouldn't be a good team. It's just that they're better with some of those players. And how do... How does that get solved? Is there anything in terms of the coach coaching, you know, whether that's through NFCA or, or through the NCAA and passing uh, various, you know, restrictions? Is there any way to solve that issue? Has there been talk about that? Has anybody addressed it? Or is it kind of just, you know, the white elephant in the room? Well, one thing they're trying to do is close the loophole in the middle of the year. Mm. I think that should happen. You shouldn't, uh, you know, have the benefit of playing for someone for half a season and then transferring and being immediately eligible to play. I think uh, that needs to be closed. So that's something you can do. Other than that, though, I think I think they're taking a stance of fewer rules, the better. Um, you know, so they're kind of just letting it manage itself and hopefully it works out. Now there's rules in place, but, you know, are, are they being adhered to? You know, this is a question I can't answer. Um, you know, uh, except for us, that you know, we follow the rules, uh, obviously. Um, 
but you know it is uh, it is a, t a touchy subject, and um, I think it's going to take for someone to get caught, you know, not doing the right thing in the right way uh, for something to happen. So you go through transfer portal. You talked a little bit about NIL. You got players like Lauren Burke uh, who benefited, you know, a ton from NIL deals and. You've got now players on your team. I mean, you you lose Dulcini, Iacopo, Jefferson, uh, and have Mac Morgan coming in as a transfer. You, you keep his cell check. Uh, you've got Mia Scott, who had 10 hits uh, in the Women's College World Series last year. Great to watch her in her breakout kind of performance. Um, give me a little bit of the temperature of the team right now. You're in fall ball. You had scrimmages. You've had practice. Uh, what's happening with the Longhorns this fall? Well, what I see out there is a young team. Uh, we're very young. Like you said, we lost a lot of leadership, a lot of um, um, seniority, uh, but we still have a lot of talent in the fold there. Now the question is who's going to step up and be the leader? Um, you know, I see Alyssa Washington, who was kind of quietly one of our most valuable players last year because of her consistency and what she did in the field. Um, you know, uh, everyone knows that our fielding average is not the greatest, but in the same on the same uh, page there, we turned a ton of double plays at the College World Series and really picked it up. So I feel like that's going to be one of our things going forward that hopefully we're better at. Um, it's hurt us in the past, the last several years, and we know that. But hopefully we can turn that page and get better and build off that strength of last half of the year uh, getting better. Um, so I see her stepping up. Um, you know, Mac Morgan is a bulldog, um, you know, she just gets out there and just wants the ball and wants to throw. Um, so I like what she's doing. Estelle Check is, um, uh, I think that uh, she could get to another level this year. I like what she, how she's looking this fall. Um, a little crafty lefty, just teaching her how to pitch a little bit. I think she just tends to throw sometimes and uh, just teaching them how to control and when to throw and when not to throw, how to throw, using this, her off speeds a little better. Um, so that's good. And then, of course, uh, Sophia Simpson, uh, who had that great game against Arkansas and shut them down. Um, you know, he's shown brilliance at times, but um, can be a little erratic at times too. And so just getting her to be able to be a little more consistent is going to help us. Um, kind of like someone that no one's going to see here is Sitlali Gutierrez, uh, who, uh, you know, she's six foot, um, throws in the upper 60s, so moving the ball around, got a really nice off-speed curve change. Uh, so I, I think she could be a diamond in the rough for us. Uh, and um, so it gives us a pretty deep staff along with Logan uh, Hewlin. And um, uh, Courtney Day is going to see a little more pitching time this year as well. We, we like what she's doing. We think she can kind of be like a Gabby Plain, a little bit of off speed, a lot of movement, good change. Um, so I think, you know, what we're looking at is, you know, we don't want everyone to be the same. Like, in other words, Logan and um, uh, Logan and Mac are kind of like the same kind of velocities. So we don't really want to match them together. We want to bring her, there, her and maybe Sophia Simpson in, or the lefty and bring Hewlin in. And just trying to mix and match our pitching staff a little bit more to take advantage of their strengths. So it sounds like you've got a staff of about six uh, yes. to work with. Uh, yeah. that, that's going to be a little bit more of a bigger uh, pitch by committee. Uh, no longer one workhorse for you. It, it certainly is. Um, you know, last year it was, um, and it didn't, you know, you don't never start out with that. I'm uh, thinking that um, Dolcini is going to throw that many innings, you know, but I thought we protected it pretty well throughout the season. At the end of the season, yeah, you know, we put the saddle on and ride the horse kind of thing, you know, 
uh, old, old fast pitch term, you know, ride the horse. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's kind of what we did, um, you know, at the end. But I'd like to see us uh, use more of a staff approach. I, I think they can keep everybody a little sharper. And obviously with some of these teams you're facing now, uh, you know, for them to go through the order three times, four times uh, is difficult. And just to know, it was a Women's College World Series record, eight double plays that the Longhorns turned. Uh, <laughs> but you're right, and that the potential is there. And the defense was an issue beginning of the season, middle part of the season. But to be fair, the defense showed up uh, when you needed them uh, yeah. at the most high-pressure situations and the biggest moments. And, yeah. um, yes, Women's College World Series record, eight double plays. So, uh, yeah, I also think our outfielder's uh, got uh, more depth to it. Ashton Maloney's back. Um, she uh, had the red shirt last year. You got Bella Dayton, uh, Papelka out there. I think you're going to see um, you know, maybe Courtney Day and, and uh, you know, Jay White, Jordan Whitaker won't necessarily be out there as much. So we'll have a little more speed in the outfield, um, you know, uh, lose out there as well. So we, we've got some people we can choose from to get a little more uh, speed and arm strength in the outfield. Now I want to talk about your assistant coaches that uh, you've developed and now are head coaches across the country. Uh, obviously, uh, Chelsea Spencer at Cal and, and Megan Bartlett at ASU. Uh, you've been a, you were a part of the pack for a very long time. And to be honest, Mike, when I look back and was looking at the, the numbers, you really dominated the pack while you were there uh, with pack 12 championships. I think it was five of six in, in the last six years you were there. So five, uh, Pac-10 champions, Pac-10 to 12 championships. Um, so those two are now in the pack. Talk a little bit about Chelsea Spencer uh, and then Megan Bartlett and what those two kind of did uh, uh, under your uh, guidance. Well, a moment with Ch Chelsea Spencer is never dull. So, you know, she's, she's a, uh, but that's great. She's a spark plug. You don't have to worry about trying to fire her up or wind her up. I mean, she's going to come and She's passionate about the game, and I think that's huge. She's she wants to learn. She knows she doesn't know it all, and she's willing to work hard. Um, you know, she gets out there, gets her nose. I mean, when you watch her and and, and she's at practice, she's going to have those glove and cleats on. I mean, what coach wears a cleats anymore? Uh, you know, she wears cleats because she's going to get out there at shortstop and and play it with you, and she's going to get uh, grass burns and, and you know rashes and sliding and. She's going to do it all just to, to show you how this is what it's done. And, um, you know, she's one of those players that I think that if I played against her, I wouldn't necessarily like her, <laughs> but I want her on my team. <laughs> you know, and I think, uh, you know, that's the way she does it. And the same way she coaches, she's going to coach with intensity. Um, she's learning how to control some of her emotions uh, much better. So I think uh, she's developing into a very good coach. Yeah, I actually played against Chelsea Spencer when she was at Cal. You know what I'm talking about. That is the exact sentiment. But we lo I love me some Chelsea Spencer. So that Chelsea Spencer and then Megan Bartlett over at ASU taking over the head yeah. uh, coaching position there. Uh, what was that like when uh, you found out she was leaving and heading to Arizona State? Well, you know, she has a young family, uh, you know, and, and you've always got to look after those types of things. And uh, you get an opportunity like that to coach a Power 5 team and, uh, obviously, you know, in, in a good community like there is uh, down there in Tempe, um, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity, especially to get into that power five. And it doesn't come up very often, uh, you know, so uh, we're, we were sad to lose her. Um, you know, we felt like she was just getting to get, know the ropes, what we were doing and everything else. But 
I think she was born to be a head coach. And, um, you know, I think that uh, she has an independent mindset, um, even though, she, you know, she, she was never against what we said, but she, she's got her own thoughts on the way things should be done and how they should be done. And, um, you know, she's an intelligent woman, um, you know, empowers young women as well. So, uh, you know, I think it's a great fit for her down there and this moment in her career, and it's great for her family. So we'll close on um, something kind of unrelated to softball, but related to softball. You're in a house with all women. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a house with all women. Your wife, Lisa, and your three daughters, uh, Nairi, Kenzie, and Sydney. What was that like, and how do you use that every day in terms of coaching a, a team of all women and, and that prepare you to where you're where you're at right now? I think God has a nasty sense of humor. So I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I'll get you back, you know, sort of thing. But um, no, it's 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 good. I mean, um, I think that you know I came from a lot of the men's game, and and a lot of the men sometimes it's hard to tell them what to do. Uh, you know, they they think they know it all, and they're not going to do this. And when I first started coaching, it was like these young women were sponges, you know, and they really liked the fact that you could show them. It wasn't just me talking about it. It wasn't just internet talking. It was hey, you've been there and done it. You've been in those situations. Uh, and so I was able to, to bring that over and, and um, they, they took flight with it. And I think you're starting to see that. You're starting to see uh, the more the, the male coach come in that's been in the fast pitch role. You know, they know what the game's about and bring that opportunity to play it at the speed the men play it because, you know, they're throwing you know, upper 80s from 46 feet. It's only three feet further back. And the game happens quickly. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of power. But that's what excites me about women's fast pitch right now is that, you know, for where I saw the women's game in the 1980s to where it is now, it is one completely different game. It's, you know, it's, it's got all the speed, it's got the power, it's got the pitching, the defense, the arm throwing, uh, the strategies, the coaching, um, you know, the, the, the science we have in it now. It's just tremendous. And, you know, this game can keep exploding if we keep doing it the right way. And it's keeping it on TV and making it attractive for people to come watch. Uh, one of the biggest battles we always have is getting people in the stands. Once they're in the stands, they love it. Uh, I know just before COVID, we sold out our last seven. And, you know, that's what I need to do. I need to fill the stands to create the need for a bigger stadium for us as we go into the SEC. So that's a call to all the Longhorn fans to get their season tickets and uh... – get some uh, it's in those seats uh, to watch some Texas softball. And last question, because I know you know this quite well, in terms of the international game, in terms of women's softball on the international level, what is what do we need to do to get back into the Olympics? What do we need to do to grow the game uh, in order for it to be a mainstay? Well, for us to beat Japan, we need to stop sending our players over there. <laughs> so, but anyhow, that's my thought. But, um, you know, <laughs> Well, I, I think we're on the, we're the right track. Now, I don't know whether joining baseball was the right thing or not. And, um, you know, I think you can go here or there with that one. I'm not going to get into that one. But um, it is about exposure. Yeah, I, I can get into that one with you. <laughs> I agree on that end. <laughs> Keep going. Um, you know, I mean, our game, I think, it merits it. They're two different games. It's, it's like, you know, apples and oranges type of thing, especially the money in baseball and what we have and the availability of top players and our players. But – uh, you know, for us to grow it, it's got to be in more more uh, countries. I think that you're starting to see uh, – it, it's almost like what happened in, in, in the United States. Take, for example, the game was dominated by the West Coast for such a long time. 
And then gradually it started to spread. And now you've got the East Coast was, you know, East and South became really, really good along with, you know, Michigan and the North. Um, you know, so once that started to happen, you start to see parity. And that's when things become exciting. And um, I didn't know this before, but that's what makes the NFL so great is, is parity. There's so many of those teams are so close. It makes it exciting. I mean, I mean, nothing is Oklahoma, but nobody should be beating somebody 16 to one in the final of a college world series. I mean, it shouldn't be that far apart, right? Basically. I mean, that's not going to create interest. Um, so we need to have closer games. We need to, and, and don't get me wrong. We want to raise our level. We don't want Oklahoma to come down. We want to get better. And that's the opportunity for all of us is to get better. We, we can't gripe about what's happening over there. We've got to get better ourselves. Uh, and that'll make the game better. Um, so they've set the standard. We need to get there. You know, what's the standard for the international game? Uh, it's a good question. More countries playing it. Um, the ability, and you start to see this, a lot of our players going to Mexico, you know, they have roots or grandparents from Mexico and they're playing for them. And you're playing for New Zealand. Uh, my daughter played for New Zealand and Ali Cooper, you know, did as well. And um, so getting that knowledge spread out. So like the reverse, remember I talked about the men's mm-hmm. uh, New Zealand, we, we weren't that very, we weren't that good. We hadn't hit a home run in like 20 years in the, in the World Series. And then all of a sudden we come over and we're bashing home runs because we let the techniques. That needs to happen in places like Argentina and Botswana and all these other places where the game needs to grow. I love it. Well, Mike, I probably could talk to you for hours. Well, I know I can. Um, But (laughs) thank you so so much for joining us uh, on the D1 Softball Podcast. Best of luck this season. Are you in the Longhorns? And uh, hopefully we can have you back on uh, during the season. Oh, that'd be awesome. I love that. And, And thank you so much. And let's keep growing the game. Hook them. Head coach Mike White of the Texas Longhorns. Always a pleasure to speak with with Coach White and get his insight, not only about how he, um, you know, develops pitchers, but what is most impressive about Mike White is his teams continue to play well uh, in the postseason. It's really difficult to keep uh, a team uh, moving throughout the season, but what he does best and what I believe he does best uh, as a skipper is really prepares his team to be uh, there in the end, uh, incredible record, and every single one of his squads has made it to the to the super regionals uh, in his head coaching uh, tenure. Very impressive, uh, Mike White. And that's it for the D1 Softball podcast. Head on over to the site uh, d1softball.com. Let us know what you think. Like, subscribe, send us an email, and any questions. Let us know. We're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn now as well, uh, and YouTube. So uh, that's it. Tara Henry for D1Softball.com signing off. We'll see you all next week.